Hello, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. Today's episode is a truly wonderful conversation with the writer, designer, educator, Liz Danzico. Liz is currently the creative director at NPR, where she oversees the visual and user experience of NPR's digital products. And she is also the co-founder and chair of SVA's MFA in Interaction Design program. And then she's also written frequently about design, writing, editing for publications like I and Fortune. I uh, first came across Liz's work about a decade ago, actually, through her own site, Bobulate, where I was immediately taken with her writing on everything from creativity to media to journalism to design. And I've been following her work closely ever since. So it was a complete honor to spend time talking with her about her own background and how she thinks about her work, about the intersections of design and writing, and how the two play a role in her various projects. Uh, I mean this completely seriously. Liz is one of my absolute favorite people on the internet. She's just so thoughtful, and it's clear that she thinks about these things very deeply. And so I was so happy to get to talk to her, and I'm excited to share this conversation with you. So here is Liz Danzico on Scratching the Surface. I'll be honest, I was thinking about this conversation and the things I wanted to talk to you about the last couple days, and I was, you do so many different interesting things, and I was struggling to, of how to structure this conversation. I know, I'm sorry. Um, no, don't, <laughs> don't apologize. And, and I was, you know, I was thinking, I, I came to your work first through Bobulate, and so I think of you first as a writer and I feel like some of that is a bit of a disservice to what you do because there's so many other things and so I kind of wanted to start with you know how do you when, when you introduce yourself or when you're at a party what do you say you do well, I feel like it's uh, you know it's, it's a little bit like asking somebody where they're from yeah. um, you know because I I mean your work is your place anyway and so, you know, if you're in, if I live in New York and you're in New York, it's like, what, what you talk about is like which neighborhood you live in. But if I'm in, you know, India, mm-hmm. I talk about being from the United States. So it's a bit like that. And um, depending on who I talk to in levels of familiarity, I mean, when I'm talking to someone like you, although there's probably no other person like you, when I'm talking about <laughs> someone who's familiar with all the aspects of the things, it's easy to say, well, and I can give you examples of what I say. I do this, 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 and this, and there's lots of commas and ands. But when I'm talking to someone sort of not knowing where they're coming from, I I generally say I'm in the field of design. You know, I say either I'm a designer or I'm in design because I mean that in the broadest sense. And um, talking about media and journalism also Mm -hmm. makes it, gives it context. Mm -hmm. And uh, for quite a long time, I've been in either, you know, strictly in journalism and media or publishing. So there's always been this kind of media aspect to it. So that gives people's eyes start coming into focus when I start making it, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, a bit more specific. So how, how did you, how did you kind of get into those areas? Where did your interest in design, writing, journalism, media 
where'd that come from? Yeah, I should I should sort of add um, a footnote to what I said, which is I say design and designer, but I'm totally lying because I actually don't <laughs> feel like I'm qualified to say that today still. And maybe maybe okay. someday I also, you know, after living in New York for 20 years, don't really feel qualified to say I'm a New Yorker. So maybe those two things are related oh, interesting. somehow. Um, so we should talk about what it means to be qualified for something. But yeah. But it's a good question. I mean, I think that I um, I was trained as a writer, so I have okay. I came at all these things through the lens of language and words. And um, as I was going through, I think I was in college. I was still, you know, probably a junior or so in in college. And I've always been interested in sort of three uh, fields, if you will. One is writing. One is education and one is design. I don't think I had, writing seemed pretty straightforward, although there was lots of facets to that as well, but the other two felt so obtuse so I, to me, so inaccessible. And I found myself as a junior in college, I went to Penn State University, okay. and uh, I found myself doing an internship for the Center for Language, for the Center for Learning and Teaching. So it was the center that actually taught the faculty at Penn State how to be better teachers. And my job was to write stories and then, without using these words, design, you know, do the information design for the stories, so lay them out. Oh, and essentially do editorial design for their newsletter. So they threw me in a room with PageMaker in like a blank sheet of paper because that was the tool that one used and at the time. And you had never done anything like that before? I didn't even, I was like, where do images come from? I mean, I had right. no idea, no principles of type size or layout, nothing. But I was riveted. I mean, I was apt. I remember specifically this moment. It was just like so adolescent to stay say at this point. But frankly, I still feel like this sometimes where it's like, you know, you realize that the power of not just the language itself or the way that it is expressed but the combination of the two of them, right, which is kind of like the art of creating an argument. It's the field of rhetoric. It's like how this is expressed is very is all is is the very thing that gets people engaged with it. It was like no one's ever said that to me. I didn't right. even know what that meant. And so anyway, so from that point, um, I was like, I have to figure this out. Um, so so at that point, I, I did a whole bunch of things in between. I actually left school after I graduated and um, became an English teacher and I kind of traveled the world for a couple of years, you know, that oh, okay. sort of thing. And while I was studying for my GREs um, and I was determined to find a graduate school that would teach me about the intersection between language and design, as I talked about it then, like okay. where uh, you described it really nicely. And today, I feel like we have much more, many more frameworks for this or sort of phrases and language to talk about this. But then it was like, where's the intersection between writing and design? Is there such a thing? What is it called? And um, so that's what I was really after and sort of biding my time teaching English and, you know, roaming around the world, seeing things. And ended up uh, in a graduate program at Carnegie Mellon where um, this writing degree uh, was situated within the studio from the design students. So they sort of mixed 
design students and, and writing students together. And the rest is history. It was like, here it is. Like I'm in the geographic intersection of writing and design. I'm taking classes, yeah. um, everything from, uh, you know, how to write, you know, style, advanced grammar, um, you know, management courses, HCI courses, communication design courses to um, actual sort of like, you know, in, I took my first interaction design studio then and things okay. like that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the early days. Those are like, if yeah. you're asking like, where was, I'm sure it was, there was much, you know, I'm not, um, I was not carving letter forms in my bed above my head <laughs> right. per se. Right. Um, like I, I don't, I can't trace my interest back to, you know, like early, early childhood. Yeah. But I remember specifically like those moments where I felt like I wanted to pursue the intersections, not the middles. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. As a kid, did you want to be a writer before college? Was writing part so, of your childhood? It was. I mean, I didn't ever I actually was absolutely 100% convinced I was going to be like a zoologist or a veterinarian or, okay. you know, <laughs> yeah. um, something completely unrelated. But by the time I was, you know, in high school, I remember my mom and I talking a lot about library science mm. um, and sort of like the organization of literature and yeah. words. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I remember writing my college application essays on words and their forms and their sounds. Right. And so yeah. oh, wow. it was. So it wasn't writing that I loved as much as the power of language. Mm -hmm. You know, um, from almost like a, you know, getting into the the nerdiness of linguistics and and rhetoric and you know, human behavior. So like how language actually has that impact. Yeah. And so I actually being the sort of uninformed, and I don't mean this as a slight, I don't know what I was going to say. I, <laughs> uninformed. I did. I thought that that was going to take the form of being a person in advertising because those are the, those are the role models I saw. Yeah. That's where I thought you did that. Yeah. Um, and I, I've never done that. So I, I never went that direction, but that, those were my earliest thoughts. Um, if any at all, but, I was like, I was totally going to work for National Geographic or, interesting. You know, yeah, I was, I was on the, the animal track. <laughs> that, yeah, that's so interesting. The reason I asked that last question, though, is because it's interesting that in college, as you were writing, you were also designing right at the same time. So right at the beginning, you were doing both of these things together. Were you thinking about, as you were writing, were you thinking about the design or the visual side of it or vice versa as you were working on those, those things? I, I tell you, and I think back, I've just um, recently moved and I found, you know, like my portfolio for whatever it was. Yeah. I, really, I had no <laughs> business creating a portfolio at all. So like it was such a, an amateur thing, but, and it reminded me that I, writing came naturally and design did not. But I was so much more fascinated. And so I don't, that's how it felt anyway. Like design yeah. was so interesting and hard, if one can even separate design and writing, which is another story. But, right. you know, the words came naturally. And then the, the, the communication of those words seemed so, it seemed deeply intriguing, I guess. And so I ended up spending a lot more time on that aspect of it. So I thought about it in that way. I was very conscious of like, wow, I just sort of spent, you know, 
a day and a half thinking about the presentation of this one thing right. when to, you know, come up with the thing, the idea and the communication of that idea in text form seems really natural. So then it's always interesting to me, like, why is it, you know, what does that mean? And I spent a long time thinking, well, I'm probably not qualified to be a designer because otherwise that would just come naturally to me. Yeah. And I would have those visual instincts and maybe the writing was more difficult. That, yeah. So, I, no. I, it's weird because I feel like I'm the opposite where design has always come very natural to me. And I was the kid that was, you know, looking at typography as is like a elementary school kid and asking my parents why letter forms look different depending on what side sign <laughs> they were on. Um, but I was always fascinated by writing and that was the harder thing for me to understand how that works. So it's almost the exact opposite, which is actually kind of funny. Yeah. And so here's a question for you. Okay. When people ask you what you do, are you, and you're at the intersection of these two, what do you say? I... 95% of the time will say I'm a designer and just leave it at that. And then if they ask more questions, I'll go into it. Every, depending, it's the it's exactly what you said. Depending on the situation and who I'm talking to, I will occasionally say I'm a designer and a writer. Uh, but more often than not, I, I just leave it at designer. And, mm -hmm. and because the writing that I do is either related to my design work or it's about design. So like you said, I see them often as one in the same. Yeah, I remember I had uh, my first, I think it was my first, no, it was, well, it was one of my first interviews while I was still in graduate school for like my real job, right? What I perceived yeah. to be like my yeah. first real job, which, and I had, I had a lot of cool jobs before that, but this was like the thing that I was qualified to do now legitimately with a, master's degree and um i was on the phone with a creative director in new york city who was like my second or my third interview okay and he i remember standing in my pittsburgh apartment where i was looking when he said to me so it looks like you're a writer but you're applying for this design position mm. what's the difference between those two how do they intersect and it was like being called out as a fraud right yeah. it was like Oh yeah. no, yeah. I'm, uh, he's right. But what I said, and which I very much believe was something to the effect of, you know, I really don't think that there's a, a you, you can separate those two. Um, in the work that I like to do, you're thinking about the two together, mm -hmm. um, whether they're coming from one person or you're, you know, collaborating with someone. And so, yes, you're right. Right. Those, yeah. those two were in, yeah. in a much, um, the same. And um, I thought for sure he was like going to hang up the phone. You know, I thought he was <laughs> yeah. going to say like, "Not nah, so bad fit, like wrong." Uh, we have designers over here, we have writers over here. But he ended up getting hired somehow, and um, he never brought it up. I'm sure this was not an important moment in his life at all. Right. But it's always it, it always it felt like it felt like a, a small victory to me. It was like you know, this pursuit, this instinct that I had that we could exist and coexist together. Um, was was okay it was yeah. like allowed in the world um and that and i moved to new york to pursue that and have never have never left i uh over the summer i interviewed michael rock uh from two by four and, and he's somebody who also kind of sees them as the same thing and he said something really interesting when i talked to him he said that he sees 
design as an elaborate form of writing was, mm. was the phrase he used. And I just love that so much. And I think I've probably repeated it to everybody that I've interviewed since. Um, but I'm curious if, could you just kind of elaborate a little bit more on those connections that you see between the two or the process, how they overlap and how you can't disconnect them? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I do think that it, I love that too. And I will now use it yeah, as well. It's great. I, you know, I, I, I do feel like to bring up another quote, um, the EL doctor quote about, you know, uh, writing is like driving with your, uh, at night with, with no headlights. Like yeah. kind of, so I, I feel like there it's this, it's that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they're connected is almost a surprise every time. Right. Such that you have to, you have to stumble on it in order to know how they connect, which, which makes it very hard in a, um, large team or a large organization where everybody has like a discrete mm-hmm. role to then you have to do things like plan out when the moments where design can happen or plan out right. the language, you know, is over here in this document. Mm-hmm. So I think it becomes harder when you're in a, you know, sort of a larger, more, um, you know, kind of organized environment. Yeah. But in the best, in the best of senses, uh, I think the process is, it's like a, um, I'm trying to think of a, a metaphor where, you know, one supplements the other, mm-hmm. like one inspires the other. So if the inspiration um, is coming from a place that's that feels textual, then you might start there um, and supplement yeah. and kind of like move it forward in a kind of Katamari um, like snowball effect with with design, it builds upon itself. But if the inspiration is visual, you start with any number of things, colors or shapes, right? right? And and then the words are serving that. And I, I think that's that's the thing that sort of like one, for me anyway, um, sometimes, you know, the one serves the other mm-hmm. and one mm-hmm. at least begins as dominant and sometimes it changes. But I, I think for me, most of the time, it's starting with language and very rarely does it start with images unless I'm sort of like grabbing things that are inspiring and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just kind of putting them. As- yeah. I have, I have two questions related to that. Um, the first one is how, let me, let me think the best way to phrase this. How do you, how do you think your background in writing makes you a better designer and then vice versa, your background as a writer Mm-hmm. Helps in your design process. I believe that this is something that is completely individual. So it's not something that I would say, you know, this is a way that right. other people can be. For me, I think through writing in general. And that's not just when it comes to things that, you know, are in the, the field of design. Um, or professional. I mean, in my personal life, and I there's writing all over this table where I'm sitting, everywhere. And um, and for me, writing makes things real. And so, you know, it's like I think there's a there's a sort of like feeling uh, in the sort of zeitgeist now that 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 
putting it on social media makes it real, right? And right. I, so it's um, it's that kind of feeling for me where mm-hmm. if I don't write it, I don't know what I think about it. Mm-hmm. And so when, uh, so to answer your question about how that background informs um, the design process, I do find myself, I do find it helpful and I find myself writing about the design in a number of ways. Um, I think helpfully, now I think we're you know communicating a lot on things like Slack and mm-hmm. um, you know different kinds of messaging systems and of course email and presentations and so part of my job today is very much about writing about design right you know, even oh, yeah. with the context of my work yeah so it, it very much helps um, and uh, so so that is I, I think how that process. Um, has helped the the design um, my design methodology. I don't know if it's a chicken or an egg sort of thing. I don't know if because I have the training in writing, I think that way, or because yeah. I think that way, I went and got training in writing. But in any right, case, right. that's that's the that's the state of things. And um, and I think you know the uh, in the other direction. I mean, just f- finding that this is nothing. This is centuries of of uh, learning about how the art of presentation you know mm-hmm. truly affects how people hear mm-hmm. and understand and you know learning more deeply about that um, from you know specific color colors that make right. people feel things to you know what's legible and what's readable at certain um, sizes these things all help but I think the overarching concept is so powerful and um, and it's true not only for you know beautiful objects that we receive right. um, <laughs> but also uh, you know a text message mm-hmm. you know and, and how it's punctuated or not you know these right. the sort of presentation of our our, our words is um, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 inextricable. So yeah, so that's that's the way I think about those. I really like that. I, yeah, I like that a lot. I, you you actually started answering the second part of my question was how does that, how do those kind of hybrid backgrounds influence how you think about the work that you're doing now at NPR or the SV, at SVA? Like at a very kind of practical level, how do those things come together for you? Um, at SBA, I think the connection's a little easier, um, or in teaching in general, mm-hmm. because uh, it's a program that I had the the honor of, you know, designing, right. and so I have complete authority—not complete authority, but I have a bit more authority mm-hmm. um, in the organization on on this in terms of the field of interaction design. And one of the things that I found when I was researching the program before it even started, is that one of the weaknesses of design students, as you probably very well know, um, and this is an average, not a specific school or design students in general, um, but they they don't have a strength in in writing or in presenting their work, right? So the articulation of their work is, is not something that, they probably are strong at it, but we just don't focus on it too much. I think that that's changed over the course of several years, actually, in the United States anyway. However, uh, I we place a, um, a significant emphasis on writing in the program. Oh, um, okay. And presentation, but that's sort of a slightly separate topic. But 
because of that lack that I, uh, that's there, we make a point of helping people mm-hmm. with um, telling their stories. You know, and that's not just the ideas that they're pitching, but the specific work that they're doing and the careers that they see themselves taking on. So, so I think that's how it works at, at SVA. And I'm really, it it makes me so happy. I was just speaking with two faculty members uh, at the end of the day yesterday um, about a survey they did with our alumni. And the provocation was something like, tell us how writing has uh, influenced your life after you've graduated? You know, how have the practices you've learned in a graduate program extended beyond graduation and, and changed a moment in your life? And the stories they showed me are just incredible. Um, how you know, they've continued the practice of you know, either blogging or writing mm-hmm. and hear specific examples of how it's changed their life. So oh, that's, that's just so, so satisfying. Yeah. Um, now at NPR, it's, Interesting. I you asked that question in the beginning about how I describe myself, and I think it's it's uh, wonderful to hear. I do think that there's a large group of people, primarily in the digital space, who knew me from my writing on my blog, who do think of me as a writer. Yeah. Um, and I still, you know, I still do all kinds of writing, but not my role at NPR at all. Oh, you interesting. Know, NPR has um, incredible trained. Uh, journalists, reporters, uh, writers, editors that are, you know, so, and my job is in design. And while those two things work together, um, I don't think anyone, um, has ever, you know, mistaken me for, for a writer or probably really even knows that I have a secret, uh, life as a writer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's not something that comes up. That said, we have, um, that's, you know, as we have lots of conversations. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You have to sort of know where your value yeah. um, lies. So, right, I am only a designer. Um, but design is broad, and I'm mm-hmm. very involved in all kinds of things, uh, which we can talk about if it's interesting. But um, very much in the design um, sort of side of things, if you will. Although I do a lot of kind of like teaching and... Yeah helping shape strategy and organizational change and those kinds of things as you would um, at any large organization. But yeah, so I think it comes up mainly in the ways that I described, which is like presenting design or communicating design, speaking with the designers, and, uh, but not explicitly, only storytelling in the kind of product experience sense. Okay. You know, kind of telling yeah. the story of how you're going to experience this new new thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that an interesting area that we have been uh, working in for, I'm going to say a year, but it might be a little bit more, a little bit less, is uh, voice commands. You know, with the oh. increasing, not to get really tech and geeky um, on yeah. it, it, you know, but, but sort of related where the, you know, it's all kind of colliding or... Um, overlapping at this point where you know, we're developing products that sit in your home or we are part of uh, the application right. interface of the products that sit in your home where you can speak to uh, the product and it will play NPR. And right. so the people on our team are doing uh, research not just on, you know, kind of delivering that to you, but also like what are the correct phrases? 
And what do people, what does one say when you want to get the news or be caught up on the news or, you know, is it the news or is it NPR and what about your member station? And so there's lots of interesting, you know, kind of very tactical mm-hmm. but powerful language choices that we're making um, as designers and with the rest of the digital team that um, very much affect your experience. And, and I believe it's like truly the integration of writing and design Yeah, where neither one is even visible, right? right. It's all now in the environment, yeah. you know, in physical space. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. Actually, a friend of mine just got an Amazon echo and said that um, when he says, what's the news? It's NPR that, that yeah. plays. I didn't even think Ooh. of that. Uh, I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit about design criticism, and I. I don't mean to go too far back in history, but I interviewed um, Koi Vin a couple months ago, also, and I had completely forgotten that the two of you did for a short time a site called A Brief Message, which was a site that I read when I was a I, w- I was probably late high school, early college. Wow. And that Thank was you. one of the, you know, design criticism sites that I read. Uh, oh, man, that was fun. And Steve Heller was one of our interviewees, or not interviews, he was one of our writers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious about, do, do, what is your, in, in addition to a brief message, uh, which was, I guess, that was probably like 10 years ago now? I think it was 2007, yeah. Um what is your relationship to design criticism or do you have any um, aside from kind of publishing like that? Do you have any involvement in that or have you ever? It's a good question. Well, the definition of design criticism is also kind of, you know, blurry, if you will. Yeah. You know, I, it's yes and no. Um, I don't do anything right now like a brief message, but just yesterday, and I haven't thought about it in at least a couple of years since our last, you know, reader, occasionally we get like a past reader, like your site is down. It would be <laughs> nice to see it again. Yeah. Um, but I just looked at Google Analytics yesterday for something else and noticed we still had it connected um, and haven't looked at it in 10 years. Um, oh, wow. So I haven't done anything like that sense that I'm aware of, but you know, I, uh, I guess I jump at the opportunity to participate in anything that resembles projects like that, whether they be about, you know, testing the boundaries of, mm-hmm. um, you know, art direction and editorial or constraints and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of textual constraints and visuals. Um, I just participated in a book that was published in the fall as one of the three editors and it's on, um, it's called Leap, uh, Career Pathways and Social Innovation and it's about career pathways that one could take in social innovation told through 82 different um, designers, designers again, you know, architects, urban planners, linguists, um, civic tech folks, all kinds of people Um, and, and it's, it's an absolutely stunning um, object as well. It's just this beautiful book. And the 
stories are organized into uh, four different sections. And I would say that it is absolutely an interpretation. It is a piece of design criticism in that you know, we're looking at these three almost like critical uh, lenses of mm -hmm. this work. One is, you know, how does it happen? Where does it happen? What's it happen? You know, why does it happen? And each of us wrote a kind of introduction, and then we curated the the stories that are the okay. interviews, the case studies within, and then illustrated each of them. Mm -hmm with language images and color. And so I guess that's the most recent thing that was sort of public that I was involved with. And I do, you know, at any given time, I think there's, I don't know, a dozen of those projects kind of floating around uh, for me. What is, what's the, I, I hate to use this word, but I can't think of a better one, but what is the, the value that you see in producing work that is kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote, design criticism, that's looking mm. at the profession, looking at practice, looking at the work that is in the world and kind of figuring out what it means. It's a good question. You know, I feel like if you had asked me that 10 years ago, I would say, and unrelated to a brief message, um, but thinking about it from like almost an AIGA um, mm -hmm. standpoint, which is it is our, you know, it is our responsibility sounds very big, but it's, we'll say it, responsibility yeah. to, um, <laughs> to document the state of design and to be reflective and to look back and to think about, you know, the underpinnings of uh, the work that we do now, perhaps it suggests something about where we're going, but to give it shape to create mm -hmm. nomenclature that we can, so we could talk a, about it and point to it and recognize it. And I do think that that's true. And particularly even, you know, around that time we had like the death of ID magazine and, yeah. you know, the sort of things where it was kind of like, well, who's, who's keeping track now? Mm -hmm. Right. Like what, and where, and the really, it, the question still stands like, where is the center of gravity for right. design criticism? Um, but I think now I would, I, I still think that there is that same value, um, which is giving us shape, giving us shapes to point at and mm -hmm. language to use to talk about it with each other so that, so that it's clear where the clusters are and what the patterns are, what the trends are, what, you know, um, give us something to, to, to work with. And everything is, you know, things are shifting so quickly right that I feel like it used to be like let's look at the year 2001 and <laughs> yeah. you know it's like there was the dot-com it was the you know the, the economy and you could sort of describe it in a general term and things are just right what the hell is going on I mean I think <laughs> yeah. you, we document something um, right. today and I was just looking in fact the thing I was doing right before we talked was looking at um, the most exciting emerging technologies in 2017 and trying to write about them for something we're, we're working on. And I sort of looked back at the most exciting emerging technologies of 16, 2016, and it's just, it's un, it's uncontainable. Yeah. So I guess that is the value now, which is really to help mark moments in time mm. and um, almost do like a, you know, visualization um, whether it's in text or visuals, like 
how, what, it, just to sort of make sense of the present, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Right. Do you think, what, um, I have like I have a couple different questions based on you. You got a lot of different things going that I want to think about now. Do you? Let me think exactly how to organize this for a second. <laughs> um, what do you think are the the topics or the issues or the events that are f- facing designers? you know, in 2017 that should be talked about critically? Yeah. I've been talking a lot about the ethics of design and mm-hmm. the responsibilities of designers. Yeah. And who knows that who can teach us that? And yeah. I think, so for example, um, we, t- we teach a class here at SVA that is called urban fiction, but I feel like it's design ethics in that, you know, students, it was one part of what they do is they use um, open path data that were, you know, the data trails that we're leaving with our phones, and they sort of spy on one another using these data trails, and then they visualize it. And oh, sort of, you know, and of course, it's opt-in, and people get permission um, to do so. But it brings up all these interesting questions about you know, were we able to do such things, um, you know, for clients or in the in public and outside of school, you know, where is the line between um, cool and creepy? Right. Where's the line between, you know, private and public? Where's the line between, you know, yeah. danger and safety or, you know, and so, and so we have, you know, a class and we don't, we explore those, we certainly don't come to any conclusions. But I think it's really important for designers to be thinking about those boundaries, yeah. lack thereof, you know, where, and and creating them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think the other, you know, we've come up with all these questions about autonomous vehicles and responsibility and and ethics, and um, and I think the same things are coming up with the home products. Right. You know, there was a story of like, can the police subpoena? The, I can't remember if it was an echo or a yeah, what yeah, it yeah. was. But, you know, as we're designing these things, I mean, we, of course, you know, our deliverable might only be the voice command mm-hmm. or it might be the hardware or it might be the, you know, object itself, the logo, who knows. But as designers, I feel like we can know, not that we ever did, but more and more it is absolutely our responsibility to consider the entirety of the thing that we're participating in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those ethical questions that I just mentioned, I think are, are really important for us. So that's one thing. Yeah. That's one whole thing. That's sort of like an overlay yeah. Yeah. Um, across lots of uh, the, the things that we're thinking about products and services. Then, you know, my focus is in, is in the product like tech, but the, um, the other kinds of things that are just kind of, I don't know, human slash robot right. kind of thing about, you know, we were talking about conversational interfaces and bots and yeah. all those fun things that everybody's so excited about last year. Um, yeah. And just, you know, thinking about like, how do we maintain the human aspect of mm-hmm. design and to make sure that mm-hmm. while it is 
phenomenal to be excited by those things and to wholly participate and to prototype and explore and get familiar with like where the boundaries are so that we can like go beyond them. Yeah. How do we remember that, you know, we're humans talking to one another and to keep those experiences grounded in kind of the human experience. So, yeah. You know, those are giant things uh, that I'm thinking about. I mean, it's such a good answer though. And it actually set up the next question that I was going to have for you. Um, and, and it's a change that I've noticed in myself as I've been doing these interviews and as I've been kind of working on this whole project is I started with this kind of idea that, you know, design criticism is important and we need to be, we need to have a richer, deeper dialogue around design graphic design specifically interaction design product design um and my kind of loose feeling of that was that it we had to go more than talking about you know typefaces and color choices and uh you know company x's logo is better than the old logo that they had and as i've been talking to people i've realized that well, I so I've been kind of using architecture and film criticism as my model. Yeah. And I, and as I've been talking to people, I've noticed shifting to using technology and media criticism is actually in many ways a better comparison in how we should talk about design and in the way that it affects people. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's absolutely fair. I mean, I think that you see, well, anyway, in any case from my small window I see a lot of architects trying to understand how to how to think about interaction design yeah to better inform the work that they're doing that's of course a broad sweeping statement but just you know anecdotally I'm seeing that um, just with architects who come to the interaction design program Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah it's it I think that's a fascinating question to explore um like we could take another yeah. hour <laughs> to look at no it's, it's, you know because like what how I think you know the way that or the impact I don't know if it's about the history of the field or the impact that field makes or who has access to the mm-hmm. tools and the you know the, the the things that that field sort of needs to propel itself or you know where why is that but that's Super interesting, um, and I, I bet that's true. I mean, I think media and technology, they you know have been for twenty years saying digital media. Yeah, and it's all related. Yeah, yeah. And so, what does that mean? I, that, that's, that's what, what I'm trying at, to figure. Yeah, that's what I'm talking to you for. Um, Good. I have I have just a couple quick questions just to start to wrap it up a little bit, um, and and I wanted to kind of tie it all the way back to the beginning of that connection between design and writing Mm. but you know what do you see as the future of or or not the future but a future or a possible future of how design writing or design criticism could manifest itself you know beyond text on a blog or in a magazine or something like that yeah oh wow that's an interesting idea to consider tell you um before, so I think about this a lot. I think I don't think about that question a lot, and so thank you for keep, keep catching me off guard. But I I do think about 
the oral tradition a lot, mm. you know, mm-hmm. oral histories, which yeah. is how stories got told before there was, there was certainly no Twitter, um, but that we couldn't even write, right? It's sort of like, right. if there is such a thing as pre-written society, pre-literate society, this is how people tell stories. And sometimes I feel like, do you ever have those moments where you feel like you're glimpsing the future a little bit? And yeah. You're like, I can see this all unfold. Like right. when you're going through airport security, you're like, it's definitely not going to be like this in five yeah. years. This is yeah. like, I feel like I'm living <laughs> in the past. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes when we're communicating, like, you know, texting and sending images and certainly like, oh, I wish I had my phone so I can take a photo of. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like we're getting back, we're returning inevitably to this place where pre-literate, we're post-literate, you know, mm-hmm. society, where instead of capturing everything, we're capturing nothing and holding everything in our heads as a song that we perform to the audiences wherever they are, because that's how it used to work, right? The, the, wow. epic, the epic poems were songs that people went from village to village and performed in order that, to remember them based on how the audience was reacting. So I think yeah. that that's an extreme, an extreme version to say we're not going to write anything down, but you see our devices get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Technology becomes more and more and more invisible. And we are relying on this kind of impromptu, impro- improvisational way of storytelling that's very much designed for and measures how people react, right? I got right. 2,300 hearts and clicks and whatever. Um, so it's a bit of that, right? And so I can imagine once this technology completely dissipates into the background, we don't see any of it. Right. And maybe we just lose it all together. It becomes embedded and whatnot. But what does design criticism become when it's an improvised, audience-driven record, Yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's where we're going. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love so, that. You asked. <laughs> that's my that's my sci-fi future um, answer. But you know, it, and I've, obviously, I'm being a bit dramatic about it. But I think that I, I think that the kernels of what I, you know, the sort of tenets of what I'm trying to say are, I do think it's going to be a bit more responsive mm-hmm. yeah. and a bit more integrated into everyday life rather than sort of the separate you know, record or archive, um, but much yeah. more integrated yeah. to our everyday experience. I love that. I thought that was great. I, th- I think that's a perfect way to end this also. And I just want to thank you um, for having this conversation. And, and Bobulate is in my must reads of my wow. RSS read. And every time there's a new one, I get excited. And you're one of my, I, I really mean this, you're one of my favorite people on the internet. And I thought this was a really great and interesting conversation. So thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for asking so many interesting questions. This episode was recorded on January 20th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter at Surface Podcast. You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.